0: Welcome to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your host, Drew Tan, with uh, my co host, Albert.
1: Where are you at, oh, Albert? Yo. I am here. I and am. We got, yo. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all. My bad. <laughs> that's all I got. That's all I got.
0: <laughs> and we got our buddies, Zach and Shanice, with us once more. Say hello, fellas.
2: Hey, guys. Also here.
0: Hello. All right, today we are gonna continue our recommendations series. Today, the category or the the genre that we'll be exploring is fantasy. So we'll be talking about fantasy comics. So Albert, as we like to do when we start these things, let's talk a little bit about the genre itself. So with your uh, powers, can you tell us the, definition
1: of fantasy well the official definition according to wikipedia is (laughs) (laughs) fantasy literature is literature set in an imaginary universe often but not always without any locations events or people from the real world magic the supernatural and magical creatures are common in many of these imaginary worlds fantasy literature may be directed at both children and adults Fantasy is a subgenre of speculative fiction and is distinguished from the genres of science fiction and horror by the absence of science or macabre themes. Respectively, though, these genres overlap. Definition over. (laughs)
2: well done albert well done
1: mission accomplished definition completed (laughs) Uh, let me ask you guys this are you guys fans of fantasy in general as a genre i would say that my waking life being the nightmare that it is every moment that i spend thinking about something else that is my fantasy. Every moment that I imagine not living my life, that is my fantasy. <laughs> so, so essentially you live in a fantasy world. <laughs> I exist in a real world, but I live in a fantasy world. <laughs> I'm a fan of his fantasy story. Huh?
3: I'm a fan of Albert's fantasy story now.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. So last week, what ended up happening was um, you asked me... uh, Our last two reviews involved science fiction and uh, post-apocalyptic, which kind of overlaps with a lot of science fiction elements as well. Mm -hmm. So when the time came up to choose what our next genre would be, I, I figured, you know what, let's not that fantasy is the quote unquote opposite of science fiction but you know i just thought it'd be fun to go in a different route in a different direction and you know exercise the other creative elements of our literary brains you know to delve deep into the world of fantasy and see what we can what we can offer our listeners
0: yeah totally it's it's definitely one of the genres i feel like is is uh rising more in public consciousness uh just in pop culture i guess
1: yeah like can any of you guys name particular fantasy stories that hold a special place in your uh in your i don't want to say heart that sounds kind of corny but in your heart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't have any other way other way to describe it or like it's any okay fantasy? man look 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 we're we're grown men. we're all confident
0: in who we are as people so we can say things like that without having to f- feel like we got to pretend to be ironic you know like <laughs> if we like something we like it man like there's no i don't really care if other people think that it's coiny to say you, you hold it to a special place in your heart or whatever it is what okay. it is man if i like it okay. I, I dig it
3: I mean, you can hold a special place of any part of your body you want. It doesn't really matter to anybody else.
0: Yeah. It holds
1: a special place in my fist because I think about it when I sock someone. Yeah!
3: <laughs> <laughs> one fist or both fists?
1: Both fists because I'm a big fan of the double punch. <laughs> that nice. That isn't uh, one punch and then the second punch. That's punching with both fists at the same time. <laughs> you know, normal. <laughs> You love the hammer punch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Or if I'm feeling special, I, I'll add a kick. So, you know, it leaves me completely off balance. But if all three blows land, I've devastated my opponent.
3: <laughs> I, I think Dors calls it Law and Order, right? Isn't that? Who calls it Law and Order? His his little punch. One, one fist is called Law, the
1: other fist is called Order. I have no idea. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I'll I'll confirm it in a second. Mm. So anyways, you guys uh you know, you guys are all avid readers and I, I do feel like we t- spend a lot of time talking about science fiction. Uh even even when we're not on the podcast, we do tend to mm-hmm. talk about like, you know, The Matrix or Star Wars or um you know, uh Terminator, uh, like you know, the various Sci-fi uh, things that we grew up with. Uh, although we do talk about fantasy, I, I do feel like it's something that we don't talk about as quite as much. So, yeah, again, like, are are there any like top-tier fantasy stories that you guys can think of that like shaped your opinion of what your ideal fantasy story should be? Other than you know our recommendations, of course. <sighs>
2: Yeah, I think it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, it, it's true uh, what you're saying, Albert. We do discuss quite or sci-fi quite a bit. And uh, I feel like I'm probably more drawn to that than I am to fantasy. Although I do um, really enjoy, I guess I do really enjoy certain types of fantasy. There's stuff that, I don't know, that I find kind of corny. So I, I don't really get into it that much. Um, but I grew up with stuff like, I don't know. Lord of the Rings or like Chronicles of Narnia or when I first um discovered Greek mythology and I was like, oh, that's crazy. And I guess technically that could be considered a, a different genre, like it's its own thing because you're dealing with mythology and gods and stuff like that, but in terms of it having fantastical elements, um as a child that really grabbed me and you know, just having a vision of these things that were in this in this whole other world that normally we would never see in this world. You know, dragons and monsters and chimeras and you know Can just I ask all these... you something, Zach? Yeah, what's up? Like what is your
1: first memory of a fantasy story or like an or even a fantasy image that caught your attention?
2: Um well if I had to name my, my, like, very, very first, like, earliest memory of a fantasy It doesn't story. have to
1: be exact, but just some, whatever it was that, like,
2: stuck with you. Okay. Um, the simplest one I can think of right now that comes to mind is Jack and the Beanstalk, because my dad used to tell that to me before I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's but... A, that's a good one. Yeah, but but from there, I mean, it definitely caused me to, like, look at other stuff and explore what else was <laughs> out there. Um... I think the first fantasy story i remember reading like what i would consider like real true fantasy was was something about i don't remember what the title of it was but it was like these people who it was a medieval type world and their job was like to to train and protect dragons or something and was it a movie what's that was it a movie no no it was a book it was a series of novels um, and they they would go to war with like different, different peoples or whatever. And, you know, they all had their dragons and they were trying to protect each other. So, mm. yeah, that was like the first, like earliest fantasy story I can remember. Okay. Okay. Seanus, do you have anything?
0: Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a sec. Or, go I, I got a question. Because uh, uh, earlier, Zach, you, you said there are some things that you thought were a little corny. What, what were you referring to?
2: I don't know, man. Like, there's just a lot of stuff out there that, like, they, like there's there's different tropes, you know, like um, Dungeons & Dragons type stuff, like, you know, the trolls and the, the evil uh, ogre lord or whatever. And, you know, there's just a lot of stories that are in the fantasy uh, genre that don't, they're not necessarily that creative to me, or you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, they're kind of it's like oh hey let's let's follow the general fantasy formula it's kind of like sorry to liken it to metal but yeah i'm a metalhead, so (laughs) you know like there's a ton like thousands and thousands and thousands of like really mediocre metalcore bands but then there's like those few that are like actually really good yeah and there's fewer still that are just straight up like you don't even have to say the genre just metal bands that are just good well oh good yeah, no, I was just, I was just pointing out that, you know, sometimes there's just a differentiation between, and you know it when you see it, or you know it when you hear it, like, it just has that quality, and it's like a cut above the rest, and then mm-hmm. there's the rest. So, like, that was, that was my point in saying that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, makes sense.
1: I was going to ask in addition to that, because our, like, we we have knowledge that our listeners aren't necessarily privy to, so I, I did know that you were a metalhead, so... I guess hearing your opinion of certain elements of fantasy, it did kind of make me wonder, like, because I do think that there are elements of metal or, yeah, of, like, metal mythology. Granted, I'm not, like, super well-versed in metal or, yeah. But there are elements of it that are kind of fantastic in nature. So... I mean, I don't. I'm. I'm not even sure I really have a question here. But, uh, like, are you, just, are, you
0: are you saying that there's like a, a cross section, In, like the, the Venn diagram of, of uh metal
1: fans and fantasy fans? There's a, a yeah, pretty good
0: cross section. Kind of,
1: kind yeah. of, like, cause there are there are elements that of fantasy that appeal. Again, this is just from observation. So there are, seem to be elements from like fantasy tales that cross over into maybe whatever my generic understanding of what metal is. But maybe you can enlighten me on that, Zach, Uh, whether whether that's the case or not.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I don't know how many bands. I mean, sometimes, uh, well, I guess that'd be more of like occult or mythology references or whatever. But I'm thinking bands like like Amon Amarth or like Meshuga or um, Bellacore or, you know, like I said, the list just goes on and on and on. Um, but, you know, there's, you see different elements of like, say, fantasy or, um, or apocalyptic stuff or like, yeah, uh, a lot of definitely like Norse mythology type stuff uh, mm-hmm. popping up here and there. Uh, actually, a good example of that would be that band Dragon Force. I mean, I'm sure you guys know <laughs> Dragon Force, yeah? Yeah, yeah.
1: I I assume it has to have fantasy in it. They, they're they called dragons. They got dragons in it, so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I so have oh, a question. Go ahead. Does the presence or existence of dragons in a story automatically make it a fantasy story?
2: No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because there
3: was that movie, I think, from the early 2000s set in, in modern-day England where dragons were awoken and they just completely devastated Europe. I think it started, it rain started of fire. Uh, Christian yeah. Bale and uh, Matthew McConaughey. Reign of Fire. Yeah, yeah. Reign of Fire, yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: And, and, and that didn't been... feel like it had any real classical fantasy elements to it. It just was dragons in England because... It
1: felt like dragons cause of the... had <laughs> a baby with Terminator. <laughs> yeah i think it was like
3: <laughs> i think they're using dragons there in the context of like a reference to like the arthurian legend that dragons had previously existed in that realm so it was like tentatively connected to a fantasy notion but there wasn't anything fantasy um ask in that movie
1: yeah,
2: yeah it was actually i was going to bring that up and i'm glad you brought that up shanis uh Actually, I thought one of the things that was the most fun to watch about that movie is it took something that was a fantasy concept and it made it a a sci-fi concept, essentially. It's like, hey, here's a scientific explanation for these things that we've called dragons and we thought they were fantastical mythical creatures, but hey, look, uh, no, they're actually not. So that's generally the the premise of the movie. But I thought it was pretty interesting. I I forgot. Did they actually
3: bother explaining how dragons existed? Because I I, I thought the whole idea was just, there are dragons, and now they have to deal with them.
2: I thought they said something about, like, a little bit of the history and how they evolved. But I remember them giving a very specific, like, scientific explanation for why they could blow fire and why they, like... Yeah, I remember them doing that part about explaining how,
3: like, I think they had, like, methane packets somewhere, like, in their, like, back of their their throats, they could, so it spilled the methane and then blow the, the heat to ignite it, and that's how they would do the, the, the fire breathing part. And that they were, they had certain eye um, set up where there were good hurdles during the day, but even better at night.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't, I think I'm uh, hesitant to ever say that just because something has a certain, a specific element that it automatically counts it as a specific genre like i'm pretty flexible about that sort of thing I, I would love to see the day that we hear a story about dragons taking other dragons to court <laughs> i mean also like our our, 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 <laughs> <laughs> our podcast if recorded
3: and seen live would be fancy because we're just four ogres you know
2: <laughs> Oof.
1: yeah i wasn't expecting to wake up to get my feelings hurt today but here we are <laughs> I'm morning Albert. The truth hurts. <laughs> well, another element of uh where or another place to where I think we well not necessarily all of us but uh at least drew uh where we encounter fantasy regularly is like video game stories tend to That's mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very big genre especially if you like rpgs yeah rpgs that's like fantasy as a genre in video games is huge i i would say more prevalent than in like movies or tv anyways
3: but i I feel like a common thread i've seen in fantasy is that there's always some sort of in-universe mythos or lore mm -hmm. that's been around for a long period of time either a prophecy or something that happened before people thought was long gone and now the current set of adventures or happenstance, you know, people who just get thrown into this, you know, who thought they were just normal, but apparently have some legacy. And now it's this about them discovering who they are, as well as like unraveling this, 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 um, that story that they've kind of heard of in various fashions. And they're on a, they're on a quest. There's a <laughs> so lot of a elements quest. of the hero's It's not a mission, journey. it's a quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in sci-fi, it's a mission, but in fantasy, it's a quest. Yeah, that's a uh, one of the that's- key
0: differentiators.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think one of my favorite things too is usually sort of not always, but usually in in conjunction with that quest, there's some sort of like magic or system of magic or, you know, supernatural element that either is not explained or doesn't necessarily need an explanation. Um, you know, if you try to invent something like well this is a bad example because it's essentially sci-fi but like the force or something like that and then try to explain each and every in and out of how it works it just sort of like dies the death of a thousand qualifications right like sometimes you can explain something to a certain point and let it be and I think some of the better stories I've read kind of look at like magic or those systems of magic and like you know, they'll explain, oh, hey, here's how it works. Here's the basic rules or whatever. And then they just let the story proceed. Like, let it tell itself. It doesn't have to be all about, like, how mm-hmm. does every single little thing work, you know? Mm-hmm. Take a hint, that, George Lucas. That, <laughs> I'm glad
3: you brought up Star Wars because I want to say, like, Star Wars is a classic example of what really fantasy is just happens to be have, set in space because the, the Jedi, the Dark Jedi, the wheels of the Force are the wizards of that universe. And in the classic trilogy, there is that mythos, this idea of um, Darth Vader had gone, had done all the Jedi, like Luke is this, like, this last hope to the that this galaxy has to survive. And he realizes his part in this legacy. Um, so I, cause I think a lot of people classify Star Wars as science fantasy, not science fiction, right? Which is
0: yeah, the so.
3: distinction between that and like Star Trek where they try to give plausible scientific explanations for the things they have and the technology that they use.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say, I, th- I think like maybe the general public that doesn't really think about <laughs> like genres and categories the way that other people might think of them. Most people would just call Star Wars science fiction or sci-fi, uh, but I do think you're right. It would be more accurate to call it a like a space fantasy uh, because in addition to what you just said, not only is the force and the whole mythos thing very reminiscent of fantasy tropes. But there's also the story element that you have to consider where a lot of, um, I guess, maybe not as much in modern fantasy, but in traditional and classic fantasy, like I'm, I'm talking like just stuff from like the, from the early 1900s from like Lord of, Lord of the Rings up, up to, uh, you know, recent times. But a lot of um, those kind of fantasy stories pretty much established there's usually um, good versus evil, you know, like there's a clear uh, delineation between what is morally right and what's morally evil. And a lot of fantasy stories tend to tell stories that are based on, uh, you know, the epic battle, like epic battle, epic struggle, (laughs) journey, adventure, quest between those two forces. Whereas um, with a lot of science fiction, there's a lot more ambiguity, it's not, Always about uh, good versus evil. It, it, a lot of science fiction stories, um, you know, as we talked about in our last, in a c- couple episodes ago, a lot of science fiction is about exploring uh, human nature. Whereas a lot of fantasy tends to be. I'm not saying that there's no fantasy that explores human nature because I think all good fiction, to some degree, explores human nature. But like of science, Thrones,
3: I think would be an example of exploring human nature.
0: Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, I was, I was saying like fantasy. Explores a lot of, uh, I guess, moral concepts and and, and ideas from a more, uh, I guess, what do you call it? Like a like a black and white. You know, there's there's good, there's evil,
1: uh, and there are clear-cut distinctions in terms of yeah, uh, what clear-cut the story distinctions. Is. Yeah. But
0: but you know, Game of Thrones, or uh, you know, for the true fantasy reader a song of ice and fire <laughs> you know <laughs> like mod a lot of modern uh fantasy stories are, are kind of moving away from the good versus evil thing you know there's a lot more uh, they're trying complexity. to make it more
1: realistic
0: <laughs> sure yeah you can call it realistic <laughs> just in, in the sense of adding uh, a greater sense of uh, political intrigue uh moral ambiguity moral ambiguity that kind yeah. of stuff yeah i hear
1: you
0: like there, there's a a whole wide range of, of uh, subgenres under the fantasy umbrella too. You know, like even just speaking in terms of uh, what we traditionally think of fantasy with like orcs and ogres and elves and dwarves and stuff. Yeah, you know, there's there's high fantasy, there's low fantasy, and then uh, moving out of that realm, there's stuff that has to do with like um, urban fantasy. Um, stuff that has supernatural magical stuff like there there's i guess there's a lot of it out there um i don't necessarily know everything that is popular but yeah me personally i'd say fantasy is one of those genres that i do go into uh pretty often um yeah as as much as science fiction or, or crime or uh books about world war ii like those are like the things that i like to read about the most when it comes to my my prose
1: Hmm. um one thing did kind of occur to me to ask just for the fun of it but Mm -hmm. um but are there fantasy tropes that you guys like like what is what is the fantasy trope that like makes a good fantasy for you uh fantasy story
3: I like the I like the myth built into the universe. I like I like being enwrapped in its own like you say um biblical essence sort of I don't know it's that like I think of like Lord of the Rings, um The Chronicles of Narnia. I think especially Chronicles of Narnia definitely has that sense of like it's um the world is built out it's it's also like the the genesis of like of that world of like yeah. how it kind of began who were the progenitors of that world so to speak uh and Star Wars also has a bit of that. You get kind of, you kind of get curious and sucked into this idea of like, who were the Jedi? What do they stand for? This this religion that is referenced um, for the believers of the Force, um, and it's just kind of it's kind of fun because it's, it's like it gives you this world building of like what's going on right now, but also kind of intestine you and of ask like, uh, who are these players, eons ago that that caused all this to be set up? Um so that's the thing that I like a lot, because I'm I, I just like this idea that there is a bigger thing to all this, despite what I'm reading. Yeah. And I think it was one of the one of the last few statements of Lord of the Rings when Gandalf I think told Frodo or the Hobbits, I, I have to read it again, that there there are there will be other evils, but that is for those of that generation to deal with. That their part in this um securing the rings is done
2: mm-hmm. mm.
1: and from what i remember lord of the rings is one of those um fantasy stories where they intended to do more i want to say but they ended up he died before he could revisit it or he had
3: a lot of from what i understand i, I have read the other published works is that he had a lot of notes on what he felt the. History yeah of i think his son was, was working on
1: him right or something like that
3: it wasn't really that he was working, per se, on, I, I think, on the books. He just had a, a huge set of notes, and he had written very short stories about various characters from the, the history of the Middle Earth, mm. um, which, were, which were later on, I think, after his death, collected by his, by his estate or by his, by his, by his son or, or his children, and then published um, in the, as best they could based on what he had written, as well as other notes indicating what he had intended to do with these stories. So it's, it's possible he may have written, he may have intended to write a, pre- a, a prehistory prequel to Lord of the Rings, as well as um, a sequel. I mean, he did write The Hobbit, that was a prequel to Lord of the Rings, but I think there might have been an intent to write a longer uh, form, like like thousands of years ago history of like like really bring out a novelization of um, those events. Because if you read the Similarion and others, they don't read like a fantasy story. They read more like a biblical record of, of Middle Earth. But like, here's what happened. Here are the characters involved. This is this is it. There's no real dialogue. There's no character action. It's just you just follow the history of Middle Earth. It's like, uh,
0: like a second Force chronicles, chronicles but for Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zach or Drew? Uh,
2: yeah. I. So wait, wait. So what was the question? It was like what what drives me to um... um
1: i was asking like is there a specific trope for fantasy literature that that you have to or yeah is there a specific trope that you would say has to be there or like that makes a fantasy story for you or like even even just is there a fantasy trope that you like is is the short answer a short version of the question
2: Okay, yeah, I, I do have a favorite fantasy trope, which I'll get to in a second. Um, <laughs> those don't necessarily make or break the story for me though. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of just just craft in, in storytelling. Um, and to me, I look at it more on the merits of like, you know, for, forget which specific genre it may happen to be, but like, is it a good story? Is it a well-told story? Um, and that's, that's a conversation for another time, but in terms of tropes that, that I enjoy, um, definitely what I was mentioning earlier, I think sticks out most to me about kind of looking at the systems of how this world is built and how do things function? Why do they function the way that they do? Um, be that magic or the force or whatever else is, is, um, Thread it throughout this world that sort of like holds it together. Uh, and these these characters interact with these things Um, it's almost like to me It's almost like looking at the physics or the quantum physics or the makeup of, of our world, right? Like you're looking at all these little um, Smaller pieces that all work together to make the whole possible So kind of looking at how the pieces affect the whole if that makes sense um, that tends to be one of my favorite parts of, of uh, fantasy.
0: That makes sense, man, because you're an intellectual person. I can see the appeal of that aspect. For me, it, it's uh, more of, I think what I like is more just uh, the adventuring aspect of it, like the hero's journey, the questing. <laughs> that's what I yeah. enjoy about fantasy stories. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm simple and easy to please. And <laughs> that's kind of like what I look for, man. I, I just want an adventure. And I I think it, 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 uh, flows out of, um, just what I liked about fantasy stories when I was a kid and and this kind of stuff that I grew up reading. Cause, cause I think for me, um, you asked this question earlier, Albert, when you, you asked, uh, what are like your earliest memories from f- fantasy and, and for me, I, I don't I don't know if it's like the the first thing I ever consumed, but one of the things I liked a lot when I was a kid was the King Arthur story, mm-hmm. and Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. I, I, I think I might even still have that book, but when I was a kid, I was I devoured that book, you know, just reading about these knights in shining armor going on a cre- on a quest for the Holy Grail and and all this stuff, um, getting into duels with other knights. Like that—that that was always the thing that that I enjoyed about it, and i, I think as as uh, I, as as I was exposed to more fantasy and other mediums, specifically uh, video games, you know, that's always been a big part of uh, the enjoyment of it. You
1: know.
0: <laughs> There's your dog. <laughs> I think about uh the Legend of Zelda, right? And you know, just this every game is linked, going on this grand adventures uh, and and just spend so much time with the character, um, other RPGs, you know, from Final Fantasy to, to the more modern stuff that I'm really into like uh, the Dragon Age games or the Witcher, um, you know, I think stuff like that where you can spend a lot of time with uh, the same cast of characters, see them grow over the course of their journey that's always been the big appeal to me, and all the the magic and stuff you know that that's all well and good um, but i I don't necessarily um, feel like I have to learn about all the systems or the lore like all of that stuff is is just gravy to me on top of the on top of the real mashed potatoes like i was I was thinking about some of the other uh fantasy novels that I've really enjoyed um in recent years like i really liked the name of the wind by patrick rothfuss and i don't know if you guys have checked that out but that in that series he spends quite a bit of time developing a system of magic that is based on on a basically like the title says it's based on the name of the the item or the object or the concept um and I, at first, I you know I I'd known about that before I started reading the book, and I so it, it kind of made me wary. Like I was thinking, oh, is this going to be one of those really technical kind of things where he's going to spend a lot of time examining and explaining how something works? But you know when I read it, it was it was a smooth sailing story. Like in terms of readability, like I I didn't feel like it was boring me with explanations or exposition. But like the main character, he big part of that story he starts off in a basically like a magic academy where he's learning how to how to use magic so every time you learn about the system of magic used in that story it's part it's actually part of the story you know like he doesn't dump like two straight chapters of how magic works and you just got to consume it all and memorize it but it's more organic where you're kind of learning things as the characters learning things and all these things that are being revealed to him are being revealed to you as the reader as well. So yeah, for me, it, it's it's the craft of it that that uh, makes me remember and appreciate something more. You know, it, so yeah, the ultimately it comes down to a cast of characters on a hero's journey and the execution and the craft of of the of the story and the concept.
1: Mm. Okay. What about you, I,
0: Albert? You didn't you didn't mention if you uh read much or watch much uh fantasy.
1: I think as a kid, um I was like I was like you in the sense that I went through I went through phases in terms of what my interests were. So I definitely went through a period where I was very interested in knights just because they're basically robots. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, wait. Robots? So it's a, like a robot, but there's a dude inside and you know. It was, I I mean, the mind like, you of were children simple. is awesome, man. <laughs> but um, I do think that a lot of what you guys are um, talking about or a lot of the the, the re- prerequisites of uh what you guys enjoy in fantasy stories uh is more or less what i like in my fantasy stories as well um i will i i definitely i don't think I, I i i don't think i'm quite as high functioning enough w- where i i i can say that i super enjoy all the in- well, no, I enjoy the intricacies of the politics of that world and all that stuff, but I'm I'm like you, Drew, in the sense that that's just kind of gravy uh, on the ice cream or whatever the term is. Ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> put gravy on your ice cream. <laughs> Salty ice cream is good sometimes. <laughs> okay, okay. But, um, but I was going to say, like, uh, yeah, like, for me, it's definitely about the world because uh, fantasy is an escape and i remember reading this thing and i i might just be making this up so i you know i'm not even going to say that quote any particular source but i remember hearing this um conversation on the topic of fantasy and they were saying that there was an era where it was popular and uh i want to say that it 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 became like even more popular during either the industrial age or the more modern age because you know people were living in the in the industrial era and they were like living with the reality of what modernity and technology was giving them and and for them the escape was to go back to a simpler time where you you know where you lived on an idealized version of a farm and it was simple living and the world was still undiscovered and it was large. And, you know, you could, you could wake up one morning and you could decide to be an adventurer or an explorer as a career. And that was, well, I don't know if viable is the term, but it was something you could do, you know, whereas now if I wake up and I go, I'm going to explore the tenderloin, I'm probably going to walk away with herpes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, It depends on you you by explore, but okay. But even when I... um, Like, one of the most powerful images of fantasy for me, uh, and unfortunately it doesn't come from anything I've read, but it comes from the legend of Zelda. And Mm. it's always just how they design their world you know it's just so sleepy and it's just comforting and then you know an adventure comes and your character has the opportunity to leave that small world and to go off to become this great hero mm-hmm. and yeah there's something romantic about that you know yeah and there's that, a grand that adventure is, exactly and that's that's the element of fantasy that uh that probably appeals to me the most. It's it's the ability to explore. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense.
3: Drew, you mentioned earlier that like like RPGs are a form of like fantasy telling through video games, mm-hmm. and I know Zelda isn't a traditional RPG, but I think it was like the early form of like an adventure style RPG, right?
0: Yeah, I'd say it's more of an adventure RPG. Yeah, but there's there's definitely a a lot of elements that are um, well, I was going to say that a lot of the stuff that Albert just mentioned, I definitely see that in Zelda and a lot of uh, even a lot of modern games um, because because one of the things I, I like about modern RPGs like uh, you know like Skyrim or Oblivion, The, the Witcher Dragon Witcher Age. games, Dragon Age, it's it's that sense of exploration, the sense of adventure, and just this promise for the, this this promise. Um, between the producers of the game and and to the player that, you know, when you start immersing yourself in the world, you're gonna have adventures, you know, you you can explore and it it just does something to your imagination where you can um, be somewhere that's totally different from the real world and just enjoy this world that's already populated and already has its own, uh, you know, backstory and history.
3: It's why I was so drawn to the kotor the KOTOR games and why I'm a big fan of the S- Super Mario RPG and mm-hmm. Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger.
1: Yeah. Chrono Trigger is awesome, dude. Yeah. So yeah. I had one more question. Uh you know, if you don't if you guys are willing to bear with me. Of course. No. Um <laughs> Dang. <laughs> away with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I wanted to know the inverse, which is are there any kinds of fantasy tropes that you don't like or that ruins uh, or that you feel will ruin a fantasy story for you?
0: Hmm. That's a good question.
3: Uh, I have two, actually. One is kind of the other flip side of what Zach was saying about the loosely defined magical powers that can be, where by not giving them a sense of a broad sense of like the confinement of, of how it can be used to the point where it's used to do everything and anything, where it raises the question like, well, if it can do everything and anything, then why don't just use it to solve the problem? And the was done in like two pages. <sighs> so the the, the 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 so the author's own lack of sense of controlling and kind of through the use of the powers, kind of indicating to the reader that there is a limitation of whether it's internal energy and, and, and using this this magical power or what it can actually manipulate and do, with without that kind of sense of limitation, it, it kind of like makes this like like, okay, so you just can do anything. So it kind of takes away that sense of like how can they use this power in a clever way in a moment of stress or when they're in a bad situation to to find their way out and move and actually continue on through their adventure. And like like, it makes it kind of, it adds that attention that otherwise you would not be present there. The other thing I find that kind of just bores me is when they rely heavily on people's love of certain fantasy characters like elves and so forth to the point where they'll, they'll describe elves <laughs> and other characters in almost the same exact way where they kind of yeah. either overly sexualize them or something else. It's like, I'm like, that's, it's like, okay, I've read that five other places. Like, why, like, can you give me something a little bit different?
1: I remember, it reminds me of this, I feel like I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt, but I'm pretty sure I remember hearing this in like an interview or something like that. It might have been, they might have been talking to George R. R. Martin where they asked him whether like the kids in the forest, I think that's what they were called, children of the forest? Yeah, children of the forest, yeah. Yeah, whether they were elves. And he was like, nope, they're not elves. They're children of the forest. (laughs) (laughs) Because he didn't want to, you know, use that trope, you know, but... Yeah. Uh Zach or Drew.
2: Um Yeah, for me I think it's it's kind of along similar lines, but more I guess it covers a, a broader a broader spectrum. I don't like it when um I'm reading a fantasy story and it becomes evident that since the craft is poor or mediocre, um, the author is hiding behind tropes to to cover it up. Um be that the elves or the ogres or, or whatever it's just like um it's kind of the equivalent right of, of when you read comics and it's like oh well let's just make everything look really cool and hyper realistic and everyone's crashing through the skylight and every panel is a, a splash page right but then and big Hughes. tna right <laughs> what's that and okay. big tna <laughs> i was actually just going to get into that because that's another huge huge turnoff for me i mean I don't know of a, a, a better way to put it. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I don't want to be too graphic, but it's just like, you know, when there's uh, for me, like overly sexualized content or whatever, I, it makes me not want to read it. I mean, just, just for the sake of um, like it's gratuitous, like it's just thrown into the story, either one to cover poor craft or two, just because that's what the author wants to put in there and it doesn't necessarily have any relevance to the plot or the story or the characters or the craft or when it's done in a way that's uh, disrespectful to women which is technically also disrespectful to men too oh hey let's just put this in there go will buy it you know they, they like that kind of stuff not necessarily <laughs> like the <not> swine Exactly. So, uh, without getting on too much of a soapbox, and I don't really care if somebody crucifies me for that or not, um, those are my specific tastes, and I don't. Those are some things that I really don't like in every fantasy.
0: Yeah, for me, it's very similar to what Zach said because poor craft is the death knell for my able, ability to appreciate or enjoy a story. If it, like, in terms of just using tropes, whether, you know, it's the the typical things that we think of when we think of fantasy, which, which is like mages or sorcerers, uh, just magic and dragons or elves, orcs, things like that. Like, I, I'm fine with all that, you know? For me, it's more about how does the storyteller use those things? How are they presented to us? And if it's, if it really is like um, just a bunch of, familiarity uh that they're throwing at us to cover up for uh, lack of creativity in other ways then the story's gonna lose my interest um i can't really think of an example of something like that but i'm sure you guys have experienced it where you saw some book at the library that had a cool title or a cool cover and you're like dude i'll, I'll check this out and then you start reading it and you get like halfway through it and it's just you're just like i don't really care if i finish this you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna plot on and and force myself to read something that I'm not really liking. So, you know, that that's definitely happened to me. Another thing that I think I, it's more of a, this is more of a personal thing, but I I think when it comes to urban fantasy, like that's something that I don't always really enjoy. So I'm talking about stories that are set in, uh, uh, the present day or the, or the real world, but, involve some element of uh magic or or fantasy aspects when it's done well i can enjoy it but when it's not done very well um it doesn't really grab my interest like well, like what was i'll that talk will about
1: smith movie called huh what is that will smith one called that Will smith movie on netflix uh bright was that was that bright ones? that's what you made me think of but anyway sorry right oh, like that...
3: actually that was a pretty fun movie
0: yeah i didn't like that man i did not i did not enjoy that movie like don't get me wrong i enjoy will smith he he's fun but like i'm not the kind of guy that can watch an entire movie just because of the actor you know like i didn't really like that movie in general um but but i'm also thinking about stuff like the like i don't have a I actually like Hellblazer, but I'm thinking about stuff that's kind of like a poor man's hellblazer yeah like, like if you if you take uh, like an urban magician like John Constantine and water him down and, and tell like generic stories, like that's not something that I can really enjoy yeah so mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think stuff like that where where uh, the magic also isn't because like typically in in these kind of urban fantasies the magic is kind of not really explained at all. And you're just kind of left to assume that you it can have do to whatever. It yeah, it just does whatever the writer wants it to do. And, yeah. and that, that leads to a lot of lazy writing, I think.
3: There's actually one, I would, it's been all since i read it too, almost urban fantasy that just popped my mind when you said urban fantasy and you used the word magic. And I was thinking, oh, what about Mage by Matt Wagner?
1: Oh, it's been a long time since I read that one. Same here. I don't really remember it too well. I just remember he had like a magic bat that was supposed <laughs> to be his version of Excalibur. You know, the other thing I just thought
0: of, and I've never even watched this show. I've never watched a single episode of it, but have you guys heard of that show Supernatural?
3: I have, yes. It's really popular. Yeah, it's really
0: popular. It. Yeah, it's yeah, really popular. It. But, but I, like, that is something that has no appeal to me whatsoever.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never... <laughs> tried to watch it well that's not true i remember i tried to watch it once just because i was like this show has been on forever and i'm just kind of maybe there's something i'm missing and i tried to sit through like maybe 15 or 20 minutes of it and then i was i was pretty done with it yeah. Yeah, with five different
3: variations of um the tv shows involving vampires set in the modern age where they're probably part of the history of mankind Oh
0: wait, is that what Supernatural is about? I thought it was.
3: No, about I'm magic saying stuff. Uh, that, and along with like the. Oh okay. The, in the past, like ten years, there've been like several different TV shows about vampires in the modern age.
1: Yeah. Well, I I am a fan of Buffy and Angel, but. Oh, 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 Buffy and
3: Angel for sure, but. Yeah. That's because they don't really well. The difference between those shows and the modern vampire shows is that with the with the Genesis of the givenness of Twilight of the of what the Twilight yeah, yeah, yeah. series. You meant those vampire shows into sexualized caricatures, and Buffy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer Angel dealt more with the nuances of character development and this idea of good versus evil. um, Where sure, sex was in there, but they weren't trying to sexualize the characters. It wasn't like this appeal, like we have to make every every Slayer, every vampire, a sexual creature, like, and so forth. Um, Also, there's another one. There's another urban fantasy that. I was thinking about it and i just now my mind went blank on it um american what twilight no, sorry. there's there's a comedy that kind of pokes fun at the vampire the, the the urban fantasy vampire trope um it's called what we do in the nighttime by what Lincoln. we do in shadows yeah what we do in the shadows and it's 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 hands down hilarious
1: yeah I, I i like that too i just watched the first season that's great I think the second season just came out or is by the season time two out. just came out. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe like a couple months ago, but anyways. Yeah. I think
3: overall when, when you boil it down,
0: what I, the kind of fantasy that I'm drawn to is, is still probably along the lines of the more traditional kind of fantasy, the stuff that's sort of set in this quasi medieval world, uh, you know, very, a very Western, uh, you know, like a year, Euro, a European or American way of, looking at fantasy with with like medieval trappings and and knights and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I guess that's still kind of the thing that that, uh, I think of when I think of fantasy and and that's what I probably gravitate towards too. Nice, okay.
3: Albert, that means Drew doesn't like your fantasy. It's too urban right now. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know where it takes place. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: is true. I will say that when it comes to comics and, and fantasy comics, it feels like it's tough to think of a lot of comics that have that traditional type of uh, setting. You know, yeah. I feel like a lot of fantasy comics over the years, they, they tend to be more like off the beaten path and, and they're just, there's just something different about them. Like, yeah, there was a whole run of Dungeons and Dragons comics back in the day Um, actually, I think there's a current series of Dungeons and Dragons from IDW right now. I've never read it. ElfQuest was popular
1: for a long time. What was popular? ElfQuest. Oh, yeah, there's ElfQuest. I never read it, but I'm assuming that that's fantasy.
3: Yeah. But they were were based on, I think, pre-existing, um, properties, right?
0: Not ElfQuest. ElfQuest was original. Yeah. Okay.
3: I haven't read ElfQuest.
0: Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is obviously based on the game. Um, and, you know, there's other comic book, um comic books that have been based on uh existing properties like there's yeah like they're they've done adaptations of, of different books and stuff um i think there were some adaptations of some robert jordan novels there was the an Will, a- adaptation was the of, of time the
3: series? what's that the Wheel of time series or
0: it might have been that i i can't remember off the top of my head it's one of I those i haven't
3: heard any of that series i heard that was a really good fantasy series yeah although he didn't finish it, it before he passed away right
0: I believe he died and somebody else finished. I think Brandon Sanderson finished it. Okay. Yeah.
1: There's a there's quite a few Magic the Gathering comics.
0: Yeah. That's true. And there's a comics based on a A Song of Ice and Fire.
3: When it comes to Magic the Gathering, there's 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 a lore in there and there are stories that are authorized by Wizards of the Coast to be written. I've tried reading some of those stories. I recommend don't read those stories. <laughs> Well, I remember yeah.
0: last year, Albert found a couple of random magic comics in some quarter bins. They were old, too. They were,
1: like, from the, from 90s. the early days of magic. Yeah. The only
3: real value was the, the occasional insert card they put in those pages that are now, like,
1: $270. I don't think I got anything that was worth, like... I mean, I don't want to get into it, but...
3: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> like, no, mean, the comic
3: books themselves, the issues were worthless. But yeah, sometimes of yeah. the wizards would promote it by putting a special promotional um, card in there. Yeah. That you could play with. Yeah. And it was a, it was a very and because it was a low print run and they didn't reprint it, those cards are actually pretty expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I remember some of the books that I had actually came with cards, but I can't say that I don't think they were worth anything. I remember looking it up and I was like, "Oh, I didn't get a black lotus. Who what's the big deal?" <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um well, okay, so last year I started getting into Magic the Gathering more. So, I was it was the thing where as I was playing the game more and I was looking at the art more, I became more engrossed in the uh, the mythos of the world. So at that point, I was looking for the comics and that's, you know, we were at quarter sales and I found these comics for a quarter and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to check these out because it'll, you know, give me some sort of context. So and even as we speak right now, uh, on my coffee table right here, I have Magic the Gathering, War of the Spark, by Greg Weissman. Oh
3: yeah, it was a big whole, there was a big whole thing last year about promoting and publishing this, um, this event that was happening in the Magic Card Game universe. Yeah. I haven't, I didn't read the novel. I I heard that there were mixed a lot of like, It wasn't um, very good. As much as I
1: love Greg Weissman, it, it probably wasn't his, um, it wasn't the best work that I've seen from him. It wasn't
3: Gargoyles. It
1: was not Gargoyles. I,
3: I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily blame him as a writer in that sense. This is, remember this is, there's, there's probably a lot of high editorial oversight in terms of what he can put in a story. So it's no, not his fantasy story.
1: I, I'm not I'm not setting blame. I'm just yeah. saying that overall, it wasn't like something that I could... It, it's not something that I'd recommend to uh, any of you guys as like, man, this is such a good fantasy story, guys. <laughs>
3: yeah. I, I so What I heard was that it was kind of a, <laughs> it was a push product. They were trying to make... They're trying to revitalize... People's interest in magic and try to draw in a new crowd, and they thought that by having this publication, it would draw people in. Yeah.
2: There's also been talk of them
3: trying to make a TV show or a movie based around magic. So I think it's, it's Wizards and 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 Hasbro, which owns them, again trying to use this property to branch out and make make their their own cinematic universe, so to speak. You know, this, this money maker. of an idea.
1: It's a moneymaker, and they want it, like I look. I I enjoy Magic the Gathering and like I don't wanna go on yeah. at but I enjoy it and if they can find a vehicle to make it work so that it's um, where they produce a quality product, I'm hey, I'm all for it. You know, i we we hear love good stories, you know, here at Between the Gutters.
3: But this so. goes back to like the yeah, like what kind of bothers me about fantasy sometimes is when you know that somebody wrote a fancy novel thinking that hey this is popular right now let me take like six months to a year. Let me, let me put together a fantasy story that follows like the very basic bare bone, you know, sense of adventure, but it's very shallow and like, like, and there's no real sense of depth of character, no real intrigue, no real thought about the, the, the myth or the sense of adventure that this was to go on. It's kind of like, Oh, they have to go from point A to point B. They did this thing. There's your fantasy story. And you're like, Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Actually, that's a, pretty good way to describe the the novel from Greg Weisman that I read which was it basically just felt like it was just name checking it was like oh hey this is a card recognize <laughs> it we, we this, mentioned this, it this is a planeswalker let's let's this, mention him this is a place in the game recognize it <laughs> eh eh <laughs> Yeah, that that sounds like
0: uh, the the wrong way to t- try and tell a story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually,
0: the what you guys were saying also reminds me of this uh, kind of a trend that we're seeing nowadays too, where the the popularity of of telling uh, fantasy stories in 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 like film or television has been growing since those Lord of the Rings movies, uh, you know, what twenty years ago now. Yeah. Seems like. A lot of people try to make fantasy movies after that. Most of them weren't Game too of memorable. Thrones just escalated that to another level. Yeah, too. and then the Game of Thrones TV series escalated. And I felt like we kept hearing about all these other fantasy novels that were getting uh adaptations. And I know some of them did get a- adapted,
3: um, but it seemed like they got canceled pretty quickly too. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think it's all about hype. They want to try to jump on the hype train when when it's a hot item. Yeah. But then they realize that they're just so eager and rushed like get some sort of story or script out that nobody has the time to produce a a reasonably like good script. And they they're not gonna they're, as much as they want to make money. They know that if they throw money into a project they think will they think will be bad, they're not going to invest the time and the money to do that. Mm-hmm. But the, I, I, I have to, I forgot where it was, but like. The numbers of scripts on a given project or idea that that studios get over the and over the course of the of the lifespan of that of that project before the project is actually finally canned and saying nope this isn't working for us is 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 phenomenal. Like they will put time and money into trying to hire script writers, and after a number of years, if they don't like the script, like they will at some point can the project saying this this, this we can't do this. So there's a lot of money that's thrown into it. Yes, um, mm-hmm. Where you kind of have a sense that they know it's not gonna fly, but there's still there's somebody out there just trying to hope that they can make their big buck in that in that in that studio in that franchise, and they keep on trying to push for it and it just doesn't quite work. Um, like Dune is getting a revival. Right, right. I think they're making they? they're making a movie for next year, I think. Are they? Yeah, they they've yeah, they've announced that they already have the cast, they're already the casting other parts.
0: Isn't it going um, to be directed by the guy that directed
3: uh, a Blade shoot? Runner? I think right. Is that a Villanueva? I think Villanueva. Yeah, Blade yeah. Runner, uh, the new Blade Runner, the recent Blade Runner. Yeah, that's. I, I have more confidence in that just yeah. that fact alone. I'm. I'm. Um, i curious to see how that plays out. But it could be it, a smart
1: I, man's action film or a yeah, sci-fi. Yeah. But
3: I, film. I think this whole popularity thing is is like kind of like we're talking about um a post-apocalyptic thing, right? when The Walking Dead came out, it, regeneri- it regenerated the, the people's interest in zombies. Then we got, mm-hmm. we got Marvel zombies, then there's all this other stuff. And now DC is trying to do its own version of, of, of DC yep. zombies. Yep. Um, and it's like, at some point it's like, instead of jumping on the bandwagon, just want to do the thing that you really want to do. Like, I, I feel more and more these days, people are now writing, I, like this is like, it's actually a, a book my brother shared with me. <laughs> And I think it was trying to take advantage of the popularity of the Born identity trilogy that ended up turning into a movie <laughs> the first decade. And you gotta, you gotta get the sense that people are writing stories with the intent of like, it reads as though it was meant to be a movie script and they're trying to like, they're trying to throw in little gimmicks into their characters to make it seem cool, to try to get people to be, to make the teen audience, I guess, make it popular so that it will then be, you know, promoted as we should go to a studio and make this into a movie. And I think that's the thing that bothers me about, when I read a book and I realized the book was written because this person could not convince a studio to make a movie. So they made a book with the intent that if the book becomes popular, then the studio will come to them and say, hey, can we now make the movie?
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way, man. That's why I got no patience, no respect, no love whatsoever for something like comics that do that. You know, like Cowboys and Aliens. You know, screw that drunk man. We don't need more of that in our, in our medium. We, we don't need... Failed movie scripts being turned into into bad comics. That's that's garbage, man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's cynical.
0: Speaking it's of a- comics, we got to talk some
2: comics, man.
1: Yes,
2: sure. we do. Oh wait, what? This isn't the fantasy movies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, nowadays it's so hard to
3: separate them, right? Because you, you have a fantasy book that like, within two months of being published is now being touted as, we're going to make a movie about this. Or here's a movie that couldn't be. Here's a comic book about it. Oh, it's selling well. Let's make a movie about it. And it goes to, like this, this, this cycle of revision and remake. So you have, the, you have the movie based on the comic that's based on a novel that was based on a previous comic that was based on a movie that came out before, but then didn't actually be made.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, it's totally, um, well, it's partially a marketing thing, but it's also a production thing. Because you also have to understand, I mean, obviously, whenever you shoot a movie, there's a whole crew, you have like a DP, there's a lighting guy, there's, but if you pick up a comic book, then hey, guess what, your storyboards, your staging, your lighting, your sets, your characters, the designs, all that stuff is kind of already prepackaged for you. And if it happens to be a comic with a large following, then you've already got the following that goes along with it as well. Mm-hmm. So marketing and production wise, um, I could see how it would be more efficient and it would save them a lot of trouble, which is probably, at least partially, why those types of things seem to be so widespread now. Um, but I definitely agree with everything you guys are saying. It's just, it gets to a point where it's like, you know, come on, just, just make a quality story. That's, that's what I want. I don't want something that's manufactured so that I'll buy it. I mm-hmm. want, you know, a piece of art that I can connect with that i can get into you know i think that's what most people want but that line is is getting blurred and it's hard to tell the difference because you know the the gems are woven in with the junk so to speak preach it zach preach it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well let's get into our recommendations then i'll 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 kick us off man um my pick even though you know it's, it's funny we were talking about or I was talking about how I enjoy like the traditional kind of fantasy. Um, but yeah, when it comes to fantasy comics, I was thinking about it, man. And and uh, it was kind of tough for me to, to, to really think of a, a fantasy story that, that really hit me hard. I mean, well, when we get into our honorable mentions later, um, we can talk about why um, we didn't pick them for, for this episode. But um, yeah, just I just felt like the, the kind of fantasy comics that stood out to me were the ones that were more uh, unusual. You know, they weren't the ones that that took place in, in some kind of medieval style uh, fantasy world. So my pick is I Kill Giants by Joe Kelly and J.M. Ken Nimura. So I Kill Giants is another one of those comics that uh, got a movie adaptation. I actually have not seen the movie have you guys ever watched the movie i watched the
1: movie um yeah i remember so it's 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 funny so uh the movie from what i remember had close ties to joe kelly like he was pretty involved in what came out okay And, and i could be remembering this wrong but uh And the thing was, I watched it around the same time this other movie came out called... uh, A Monster Calls. A Monster Calls, exactly. And they... I'm not going to, like, try to lay, like, blame or anything and say, like, one person was copying another or whatever, but they just had very similar... uh, They had almost the exact same plot, basically. Yeah. 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 But I will say that uh, even though the comic came first, I, I... I have a lot of affection for *I Kill Giants* the comic, mm-hmm. so nothing changes that. Um, I personally felt that *A Monster Calls* was a better movie than *I Kill Giants*, mm-hmm. uh, just because it felt more. I think it was visually just better looking, and it was more. The the fantastical elements were just more fantastic, whereas *I Kill Giants* felt more like an action film.
3: Wasn't A Monster Calls based on a young adult novel?
1: Yes. That
3: one
0: was based on a... I think it was more of like a children's story. Okay.
3: So I... Yeah. So so I would say it probably didn't predict the I Kill Giants since it was published.
0: Again, I'm not... It wasn't.
3: Oh, it wasn't? Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay. Here, I'll I'll get into it, man. Uh, So I Kill Giants was a seven-issue miniseries published by Mm -hmm. Image Comics back in 2008 and a monster calls the the book actually came out a few years after so even the book came out after i killed giants yeah um but i think the a monster calls movie came out before the i killed giants movie yeah
1: if i'm remembering <laughs> the timeline correctly
0: <laughs> but but, but yeah. here's the oh what were we gonna say
1: oh just i don't i don't want to make it a thing about like you know i don't want to imply that anyone stole from anyone or whatever like the fact of the matter is they were both The movie was enjoyable and the comic was enjoyable and uh, Mm -hmm. and that's all that matters to me
0: yeah let me uh give a synopsis or not not even a synopsis I'm I'm just gonna summarize I Kill Giants man and hopefully try and sell you guys on on, as to why you should check this comic out (laughs) (laughs) so first of all um just to tell a little bit about the the story and the plot this this is a comic about a young girl. She's, uh, I think 10 years old because she's in fifth grade. Her name is Barbara and the story is about her in her everyday life. She goes to elementary school in, in Long Island and she's, she's a girl with an obsession uh, with, with fantasy, uh, specifically uh, RPGs like, um, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons. Like She, she's, she seems to spend a lot of her time uh her, her in her waking world she spends a lot of her imagination you know fantasizing about those things and she keeps thinking she like she keeps talking about how it's her job to kill giants and and like there's this whole kind of uh i guess a small mythology in within the comic about what giants are and and why she has to kill them and she has this uh the special weapon uh, a hammer that she keeps inside this little heart-shaped purse and the, her hammer is called kovaleski and it, it's it's a special weapon like a gigantic hammer that's you know it's like three or four times the size of her and that's her weapon that she uses to fight
1: these giants from what i remember is isn't it like a tiny hammer that enlarges to a giant hammer well here let me let me
0: uh tell you guys a little bit more about what this is like though because because a lot of the story she's she goes about her daily life in school and she she interacts with and talks to these little pixies or fairies and there's always like this uh you know there's like a foreshadowing of a a giant that's going to come to their city sometime soon but as you read the story what you see is that there's a sense of ambiguity to all that's happening. Like you start thinking, wait, this little girl is just imagining things, you know, like there's not really pixies and fairies that she's talking to. There aren't really any giants. She is just a girl with an overactive imagination. And because of her obsession with this imaginary world, she's just treating everybody else around her like crap. You know, like she's, she gets into fights all the time. She's talking back to her teachers. she, she has a talk with the school psychologist and she ends up slapping her psychologist. You know, this is a girl that like on the surface of it, the character, she, she's hard to like, you know, like she's not the most sympathetic person just because of the way she, that she treats her, her classmates and the adults around her, her family. It turns out that she's living at home with her older sister um, who's probably in her, her 20s or something. And, and she's got another brother, and her sister is the only one that's taking care of them. And and her sister is like just struggling to, to, to make ends meet and to watch her younger siblings. And Barbara is just uh you know ungrateful and and doesn't treat Difficult. her sister well, disrespectful. And it's not really explained why she's like this until you continue to get further and further into the story when you learn you realize that obviously something is, is wrong with her family life, you know, and it's not that her sister is a, a bad person, but number one, her father's not in the picture. And uh, number two, the, the more important thing that's relevant to the story is, is that her mother um, is sick. Her mother has, has cancer. I guess that's kind of a spoiler because it's not really revealed until like the fourth or fifth issue. But I feel like this, the story doesn't hinge on on... The spoiler like I, I think I think you can still knowing knowing what it's about I think will you'll still be able to appreciate and, and enjoy the story but she keeps talking about these giants and and you're never really sh- it's I don't know how it is in the movie because uh, I didn't watch the movie but in, in the comic it's actually left uh, pretty ambiguous whether it's really her imagination or if it's or if these giants and fairies exist. Um, it's kind of left up to interpretation because her, that hammer um, that she keeps in her little purse, when there's a point in the story where she takes it out when she's um, about to fight a bully. And when she takes it out, it's just a little toy hammer and she's confused. But later on, towards the, the climax of the story, she actually, there is a giant, um, a titan actually, that rises out of the, the ocean and attacks their little town and she takes out her hammer and it's the giant-sized magic looking hammer and she uses that hammer to, to beat the giant. But the the thing is is that from the perspective of every other character, there was no giant. You know, like there well, let me say for the from the perspective of most of the other characters, there was no giant. So all the all the destruction that was caused by the battle, um, you just read, as you read the narrative, you you learn that people are just like, oh, an unexpected crazy tornado just hit Long Island. You know, it's like the first time in however many years, like, can't believe it has happened. And, and, uh, you know, that's what they attribute it to. But the reason why Barbara has been so focused on imagining these giants is that, I guess these giants really stand as a metaphor for her, her mother's terminal illness, you know, cause, cause what it is is that in her house, her mother's just, you know, convalescing in, at their home, but she's so weak, she doesn't leave her room. And every time Barbara, you, every time you see a scene where Barbara's at home, she really creeps and, and, and uh, you know, creeps around her mother's room so she doesn't have to face her mother or, or deal with her mother or see that her mother is dying. But you don't really know that until later in the story all you know is that there's something scary in that room and it's kind of implied that that's where the giant is or or there's some kind of connection to it so what what I kill giants is ultimately about it's, it's about um, facing your fear and and like triumphing over tragedy because the uh I guess this girl's uh way of dealing with 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 it with her mother's uh, impending death is by just trying to f- imagine something that is even tougher and harder to surmount and by the time you get to the end of the story it, it's i don't i don't want to completely spoil the ending of it but ultimately this is a story where the theme is you're stronger than you think you are and and it's ultimately um, an optimistic and hopeful message. You get to see the story of of this girl who starts off as kind of a sour jerk to everybody who lives in her fantasy world where you're not, you as a reader, you're not even sure if the giants and the fairies are real. And then by the end, it it becomes a story that's totally grounded in actual human emotion, you know, like the the emotion of, of, losing your parent um, and and dealing with loss and, and how do you how do you endure how do you make it through something like that so that that's what I kill giants is about it's it's black and white uh, Joe Kelly wrote it Ken Nimura is the artist. I actually don't really know too much about Ken Nimura's work. Um, I know he has something on the panel syndicate called Umami but um from what I Looked up on him online. He's a uh, he's Spanish Japanese. His the style is like the style of drawing kind of looks uh, very similar to manga, but uh, the panel layouts are more Western. I would say like the the pay, the pacing and and the layouts are more Western. And it, yeah, it's it's a powerful story that hit me emotionally, and it's my pick for fantasy story. I guess because of those fantastical elements of of like her using uh, a magic weapon to to fight a gigantic monster Mm.
1: (laughs) yeah that was a it was a really good comic from what i remember um it was definitely the emotional core is probably what what the what the strength of that story was you know that was the stuff that really resonated with me when i was done reading it
0: yeah yeah totally man like I'll, I'll say for myself i it didn't make me cry but it kind of made me want to cry <laughs> you know like i, I, I definitely yeah. felt something
1: yeah yeah like i i don't want to keep going back to um a monster calls but it, it it had a lot of the same like themes which which Oddly enough, your yeah your 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 pick, I I hadn't realized it at the time, but it it has a lot of similar similarities to my pick in the sense that it's about there's a large chunk of it that's about a kind of a disaffected youth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I guess it sort of made me realize that that's kind of that's a trope for. Fantasy stories—that's kind of used a lot too. I—I I, I never, I guess, I never considered that, but that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I will say that unlike *A Monster Calls*, *I Killed Giants*. I—I w- I wouldn't recommend that to a, a little kid. It's—it's. It's, this is more if you're like a teenager, I'd mm. say, uh, because there, there's more uh, cussing in this. Or, well, oh, there's cussing in this. You know, like they. Yeah. The way that Joe Kelly writes these kids, um, they they actually talk like kids, you know, like I I used to work at an elementary school. So as much as we like to tell ourselves that kids don't say bad words, kids say bad words, (laughs) you know, know? so even, even knowing that though, just because they do, I don't know, me personally, I wouldn't give it to a kid just because I know, like, I'm sure they have friends at school who would say bad words, but, but me personally, um, you know, like it's, every parent has to decide for their, for themselves. But, so I would say if you're a parent, um, you know, you should read this comic first before you decide if, if you want to let your, uh, young child, uh, read it. There's, there's no real graphic violence or, or sexuality or anything. It it really is just the, the occasional cussing. Like, you know, they'll, they'll say like the B word, the A word, the P word. So, um, depending on, uh what you think about stuff like that. You might not want to let your kids read it. The artwork is, it's scary, but it's its nothing, uh, you know, gory or, or graphic or anything like that. A Monster Calls, uh, I read the novel and I watched the movie and really liked them both a lot. Mm. that That story is, I think, a little more suitable for younger reader, even though th- the topic is really heavy, you know, still about a dying mother. Um, I think, I think it's okay to, I don't know, maybe you'll, you'll think this is weird, but but I, I feel like it's more acceptable to teach kids about death than it is to teach them what the F word is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I
2: think one definitely has quite a bit more meaning than the other. <laughs>
1: The F word does mean a lot. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's multi-purpose. Yeah, sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, what's your... What, do you, is there a plug that you, or a blurb that you can make for this for someone who's just getting into comics? Like, You know just why 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 is it ideally suited for someone who's never read a comic book but wants to wants to read a good fantasy story uh for one thing
0: all you need is this story like you don't need to know anything else about any other universe like everything is contained within this um, you can find the trade paperback online or at, a, at your local store, or you can just buy the digital uh, copy on Comixology. I, I think I, I think. Well, I don't know if it's still going to be this price by the time people listen to this. But uh, last night I, I looked it up on Comixology, and you could get all seven issues for ninety-nine cents a pop. So that's a deal. That's a deal. You know, that's it, a awesome deal for an awesome comic. Yeah, and and these issues are are bigger than your your typical comics too. You know, I think most of them are like 20, 24 pages and the, the final issue is like 40 pages or something like that. Um, but speaking of, of the story itself, the work itself as a whole, it's it's got everything, man. It's It's got action. It's got an emotional heart. It's got a hero's journey. And I, I also think that in terms of its craft, it, it does things in a way that um, are more unexpected and un- unusual, uh, maybe more challenging. So again, I'm going to have to, I'm going to compare it to A Monster Calls. where, And I'll say that with A Monster Calls, the. It's, if you guys haven't read it or watched it, it's got a very similar premise. It's about a boy, a young boy instead of a young girl whose mother is dying of cancer and how he deals with it is by drawing and, and retreating into this fantasy world where he talks to uh, a giant monster. Um, and this giant monster kind of carries him through uh, the trauma of watching his, his mother slowly die. But the one of the things that is different between these two works is that Barbara in I Killed Giants, she doesn't start off as a likable character, man. Um, whereas the the boy in the monster calls he's someone that you immediately sympathize with you know it, it's it's very sad once you meet that character in the story and you know that all the stuff that he's going through whereas with, with barbara's story uh, you actually don't know that off the off the bat like i said you don't know that her mother is dying all you know that there's something there's something going on with her family and you don't know exactly what it is. You just know that it's it's something that's probably bad. But even then, it's it's like I think because you don't know that um, the character has a level of complexity that you don't always see in in fiction, especially fiction uh, geared for towards uh, teens and and younger people, because the main character is, starts off unsympathetic, kind of unlikable. So you actually do have to kind of commit yourself to reading the entire story so you can see her character arc. And what you see is that she's only like this because she's afraid and understandably so because who wouldn't be, but how she deals with it is by being the way she is and and being kind of a sourpuss and being aggressive towards other people, being angry. then it, it all kind of makes sense you're like okay i can understand why she's like that now and by the time you get towards the end of the story you see i guess you see how she can change you know how how she can kind of grow up and and let go of that anger and and overcome that fear um even overcome that grief and and find some kind of Happiness or, or meaning in everything that transpired. Um, so, I would say, like the fact that the main character is so nuanced—that that's a really big plus in terms of the craft. The artwork is amazingly good. It's all black and white. He he does all the Ken Nemura does all the lettering and the design himself. Like I don't I don't know enough about the technicalities of uh, the artistic process but um, you know I'll just post up some pictures of it later on so you guys can check out art but yeah like the, the gray tones and, and the shading and the way he draws some of the clouds and the ocean it, it it's really refre- reflective of of the mood you know like I, I think there's a he, he draws things kind of imprecisely like meaning like sometimes the lines are aren't fully connected or they 're kind of uh, like scratchy and even if you look at his uh his panel borders it doesn't always it doesn 't really look like he used a ruler to draw his panel borders you know because they 're kind of uneven um, sometimes he he doesn't draw uh, perfect squares or rectangles, but he just draws like uses like other kind of trapezoids for his panels but it it feels like uh, there's a, a big rhythm and, and a mood to how you consume the the story because of that, um, and that's just you know the wonder of comics, man. Like the, the yeah. things that that people do with the with the craft of how they do a layout. A normal person wouldn't really think about it, but because we're not normal here, you know, those those are the kind of things that we actually look at. You know, like we look at how did how did he draw these panels here, and, and like how come how come this panel has has um, you know, it's it's uneven, or why is it slanted this way? Why did he draw a trapezoid instead of a rectangle? You know, it, it's it's stuff like that that's just fascinating to think about because h- how does that affect how you consume the story? Well, it it affects the rhythm of the pacing. It affects the the mood. You know, like there's a, there's a certain tone of of unease throughout the story that is made manifest in even these uh, seemingly Minor aspects of of storytelling, just basic comic book fundamental uh, elements, um, but yeah, this this is a story that will give you uh, a real great sense of satisfaction. It may not be a traditional fantasy or heroic fantasy kind of story or setting, but. Uh, If you're just looking for a story that has some fantastical elements while being set in the real world and being a little bit ambiguous at times this is a really satisfying story to read and it's something that you can read over and over and and appreciate even more with uh, each subsequent reading because there's a lot to get out of it Hmm.
1: yeah it's a it's a good choice it's it's kind of that cross section between a fantasy comic and I do feel like there's elements of young adult there, so it's definitely like I hear you when you say that it's something you'd recommend to like an older kid who's granted not a teenager is dealing with a parent dying, but you know they're they're at that point in their life where they're getting older and reality is setting in you know real world mm-hmm. problems as opposed to like kid problems so yeah so it's it's yeah i i i uh get that choice as a recommendation and i i totally agree it's totally a good pick for uh, a young adult getting into fantasy comics
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm
2: yeah, it kind of makes me want to read it, actually. it's just, That's just excellent storytelling. I mean, you're dealing with, um, in a sense, you're dealing with the universal theme, not necessarily, you know, the mother dying of a specific disease, but the concept of dealing with death, dealing with people passing away, ultimately. Yeah. Loss. Uh, yeah, yeah. And ultimately having to confront your own mortality, like, that's about as universal a theme as, as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's powerful stuff. And the way you're describing it, it seems like it's handled well. It's handled with uh, respect, both to the reader and to the craft. Um, so, yeah, it just that sounds like quality, man. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to maybe when I was a teenager, um, early teens, maybe mid teens, I probably would have appreciated something like that. Yeah. I mean, you get to a certain age, like Albert was saying, and you start to be old enough to ask those questions and kind of really consider things like that, I think, on a deeper level than you were, like, say, when you are like, 8 or 10 or whatever, like, if your parents tell you <laughs> about that. A kid kind of understands some things, um, but the older you get, I think, the more, the more nuance or the more, I guess, dimensions uh, a concept like that starts to take on. Um, so definitely, I feel like a, a 16 or 17-year-old can think about that or appreciate it. At a level that someone much younger than that could not
0: yeah absolutely man and if you want to read it dude once the shelter in place is over you can borrow my copy
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice. right on we'll trade we'll trade for a few stories yep
1: <laughs> all right moving on yeah what's what we got next all right so next up is uh me this is albert speaking and my comic choice is Joe the Barbarian. It's uh, the creative team is Grant Morrison and Sean Murphy. It was created during the it was first published between the periods of March 2010 to March 2011 uh, in single issue formats by DC Comics. So I'm going to read the plot or give a quick plot synopsis from uh, Wikipedia here. So Joe is a teenage Teenage boy with type 1 diabetes. When his blood sugar drops and he enters a state of hypoglycemia, he begins to hallucinate and enters a fantasy world populated with his toys and other fantasy characters. Here, he becomes embroiled in a war with King Death. While in the real world, he searches for a soda to fix his blood sugar, he knows there, he knows there is one in the kitchen downstairs, but it is extremely far away, made further by his medical condition affecting his mobility. So that's that's just a quick overview of what the uh, the outline of the story is uh but there are other elements to it there's a B plot about how um his so he's he's the son of a, of a of of a fallen veteran his father is uh is revealed to 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 have died at the beginning of the story and uh, there are parallels to uh i killed i mean that's just the parallel that made me think of i killed giants is that it's a young person dealing with with dealing with the reality of the death of a parent um it might be a little different here because it's the the death of the parent has already occurred for joe and he's dealing with living life and taking on all these responsibilities in the aftermath of his uh, father dying. So the B story is that um, the home that they're staying at is, I, I think it's under foreclosure. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what, what what's going on, but they're basically about to lose their home. And um, so in the background of him, you know suffering from the effects of his diabetes there's also this story about how his mother is trying to get a loan to save the home that they are currently staying at but all these elements eventually tie together um towards the end without giving away too much um it's a it's an eight issue story it's self-contained so everything that you need to know happens right there like um like very much like uh, I kill giants. Um, the thing that I, the, so I read this comic several years ago when I first found it all in the quarter bin. Um, so you know, two bucks for eight issues, awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I was reading it, you know, the first time I read it, I, I had a lot of fun with it. But reading it again for the podcast, I I do I did observe a lot of different new things that I didn't necessarily noticed before um, so uh, the thing that i that makes this something that i would recommend to someone who's not read too much fantasy and uh you know who's hoping to get into fantasy is um one one thing in particular is that although morrison is known for experimental writing and pretty far out ideas in most of his other comics uh to the point where when you read it's sometimes you're you're just like wait am i understanding this right and it puts you in this position where you have to read his comics several times in order to get all of the individual moving parts to make sense of what he's trying to communicate to you like grant morrison functions on another level you know his mm-hmm. his brain is just he he's from another dimension dude yeah <laughs> But uh, I would say Joe the Barbarian is one of his more um, conventional works, and it's much more straightforward, but I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I don't mean that to to put it down as a work, because if anything, it's accessible, but I, I still think he pushes the limits of creative storytelling that requires you as a reader to work for it. Um, yeah, he he has all these narrat- narrative tics that he normally uses uh in in a lot of his other stories just just things that he doesn't spoon-feed you, you know. It requires you as the reader to to make those connections on your own. Um so the first time I read it, I uh, I thought it was it was very much like what you were saying about I Kill Giants, I, I thought there was this element of ambiguity to it where, you know, Joe is going into, his his diabetes is kicking in, he hasn't had his sugar for the day and he's beginning to hallucinate. So you're looking at the world through his eyes and you're really questioning whether, you know, whether these demons are really chasing him through this fantasy world or not um but reading rereading it again this time uh there were things clues in the text that have convinced me that i th- yeah they've convinced me or yeah made me yeah they've convinced me more rather that what's happening is he is existing in both worlds at the same time so the uh yeah, the, the hallucinations as a result of his diabetes is making it so that there's references in the story to a chosen a chosen person, a chosen savior to their world. And that the reference that they make is to they call him the dying boy. And the implication there is that he needs to be on the verge of death in order to see bo- both these worlds co- coexisting at the same time. So yeah, so that that was an observation that I was making. Um I really do feel like it's reading Joe the Barbarian really it it took me back to a place when I was a kid to um to the kind of fantasy stories that I was exposed to. So it really felt like the never-ending story or something along the lines of uh the page master like i don't know if uh, our listeners are um familiar with either of those two stories but it's i wouldn't quite say it's a meta-narrative it's not it's not really a meta-narrative but uh he he goes the one place where or area where it's different from I Kill Giants or uh, from yeah from I Kill Giants is it really feels like he's going on a quest he's he's traversing this uh imaginary world in order to get to um to get to his goal essentially um Yeah, uh, so another observation that I was making was that uh, it's re- what's really cool is Grant Morrison has the, in, in Joe the Barbarian, he has the skeleton of a fantasy story, but he populates it with the iconography of our childhood, of modern, uh, what did I put here? A modern popular culture. So even though, so when you read a traditional fantasy story, you have the things that you recognize that are universal, that are like, you know, you have your elves and you have your orcs, and these are the characters for most typical uh, fantasy stories. We, we, we mentioned it earlier. But the thing about Joe the Barbarian is he replaces those with action figures. So you see Autobots, and you see G.I. Joes, and you see uh, Batman you, there, there's one image in there, and I'm pretty sure it was Captain Picard from Star Trek. And, <laughs> and there's um, and uh, yeah, and there's several Superman, several, several versions of Superman, and it's it's the sort of thing that I think he's. Part of me thinks that he's only allowed to do it because it's a DC comic, it's a DC property, so you know, there's you know, certain things that he can get away with, but. Yeah, I, I I did like that element of it. It made it really feel like it was a modern fantasy, right? Like it 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 just took things that we would recognize from our childhoods and made it fantastic. I guess. Um, I mentioned earlier that the artist was Sean Murphy, and he's he's got a pretty cool uh, action comic style. It's 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 very scratchy looking. I think that's how I would describe it. There's a lot of, uh, pencil work to it, but I mentioned earlier that, um, Grant Morrison has these writing ticks where he, he doesn't necessarily spoon feed you what's going on between the dialogue and the imagery. So it really, as as a reader, sometimes you really have to pay attention in order to make those things, uh, make sense to you. And, even though Joe the Barbarian is on the more conventional side, as I mentioned earlier, um, the one area where I do think that it excels in, or or where he really pushes the boundary of his storytelling is because Joe exists in these two worlds uh, in the fantasy world and his house, essentially what he's, what, what Grant Morrison and Sean Murphy do is, they take this journey from the attic to the basement because that's, that's the length of where Joe is trying to get to. He's trying to get to the basement and, you know, he's being really messed up by his diabetes and ordinarily for just, you know, just casually saying out out loud. It doesn't sound like it's a very long distance, you know, but he is able to flush it out so much and fill the world out so much that it really makes it feel like he's going on a journey from the attic to the basement in eight issues, you know yeah and the other things that um, that they do to add to that is because it because Joe feels like he's coexisting in both these roles at worlds at the same time the the actions that he takes in one in one world affects the properties of the other world, you know? So there's this sense that there's this sense that, you know, turning a lever here, like, it seems like it's this giant monumental task, but all it is, is it's a faucet tap, (laughs) you know, or he'll come across something that looks like a giant grand river, but turns out the sink has just overflown. (laughs) <laughs> you know stuff like that it's it's and it's pretty wild when you like really stop and read it slowly and go over the details but it it's it yeah it definitely adds to the fun because you're just like oh my gosh i wonder what what he's doing to have this happen right now right
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I forget so
0: if you mentioned it but how old is joe supposed to be
1: i don't you know what i forget i I think he was in high school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's very similar to I Kill Giants in the sense that I don't think they swear a lot, but there's enough swearing in here where it's like when they do say it, you notice it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it might depend on whether you think once or twice is too much, but you know, Hey, I'm going to put that on you. We We think our listeners are smart. So we, we trust you guys to make that decision um yeah yeah so um we mentioned earlier that uh one of the uh, tropes in fantasy stories that uh we enjoy is having a party of friends that you go through this world with and developing that relationship and that bond with them as the reader so there are definitely um not side characters. What's what's the term? Eh, I guess they're side characters, but supporting side characters. characters, huh? Supporting, supporting characters, exactly. They're definitely supporting characters in the story. Um, like his guardian is his pet rat, but in his hallucination, it's a giant warrior rat, and he's got this, <laughs> you know, pretty badass-looking sword. You know, his name is uh, Jack. <laughs> you know? and uh, it's it's just a lot of fun. You know, I I. I I think the art is pretty cool, it's pretty dynamic. It's there's Sean Murphy has uh he recently got a exclusive to work for DC Comics and you know, uh I think he's earned. He's he's a good artist and his stuff is fun to look at. Um if you ever check out Tokyo Ghost, it's cool looking stuff, you know? Yeah, with Mercury Mender yeah exactly yeah, his, his bat
0: he for dc he's doing some batman stuff yeah white uh, batman Man. white knight yeah
1: yeah but yeah i so. definitely
0: like his art more than his writing
1: <laughs> yeah well fortunately here he's working with grant morrison and grant morrison is someone who's yeah in the a tier of his writing so you know yeah It the thing that's interesting to me is i i briefly mentioned it before that is that even though Grant Morrison is, like, I don't, I am i don't think he, uh, I don't think he just wrote this story as a means of just pumping something out. I don't mean that at all, but he took something simple and, like, he put his Grant Morrison touch on it and, yeah, I, like, I think, I think there's a hundred other people who could have written, like, a similar story, but it wouldn't have been as good as this, you know? Yeah. 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 Did, so, this,
0: did this story uh, hit you emotionally?
1: Uh, I don't think it hit me as much as something like I Kill Giants because, again, the story isn't... It's not about him dealing with death. Like, I mentioned earlier when you were talking about I Kill Giants, it feels like between me and you and, um, I guess, quite a few other fantasy stories... Uh, at least the fantasy stories that take place in the real world, there always seems to be like a disaffected youth, like some mm-hmm. sort of unhappy kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and the fantasy is usually his means of escaping whatever conditions he's in, they're in, uh, what, escaping whatever conditions they're in. But over the course of their adventures, they find, you know, the inner fortitude to become the person to, to grow and become the person that they want to be you know yeah yeah and i guess it's yeah it's taking that um the idea of the physical quest but using it as a means of uh of communicating their spiritual journey as well you know their their mm-hmm. journey to maturity Mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's yeah joe the barbarian is a it's another great fantasy adventure that i would probably recommend to as a you know to a young adult who just you know wants something fun to read but i do think that there's it's it's a triumphant story ultimately yeah nice man yeah
0: shanis is that have you ever
3: have you guys read joe the barbarian I have not, but I do have a the deluxe hardcover that came out a while ago now, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's probably been like what, a bunch of years, like ten years
1: now? Yeah, I think in ten years, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, actually I second that. I mean I've I've heard a lot about Joe the Barbarian, but I've never actually read any.
1: Well the thing that's interesting is when I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia, like it it did not I don't think it was a commercial success. But they have always said that they were trying to option it as a film. It's been in development hell for quite some time now. But um You know, like here at Between the Gutters, we don't consider something a success because it becomes a movie. Like it's a success because it's great. Exactly. So, it's yeah. guttertastic. It's gutter. It's between licious. <laughs> <laughs> all right any questions we can we can move on to i guess one one question is overall uh
0: what what emotions did the story evoke in you that's what i'm curious about oh
1: I do think that there are moments where it pulls on your heartstrings because there are things that happen to his supporting cast or yeah, there, there are things that, um, that happen to them and, you know, once you've become invested, you, I will not go as far as to say that you fear for them, but you know, um, yeah, you're invested. So there's definitely a sense that you are you don't you want bad things. Yeah, you care. You don't want yeah. bad things to happen to them. Um, rereading it again, though. Uh, so the first time I read it, I got the sense that, oh, he might just be hallucinating all this. But when you reread it with the filter that, oh, these things are happening, or he's existing concurrently in both these worlds, uh, there is this feeling once you get to the end of it where it's like, oh... Uh, well, I don't want to like ruin too much of it, but uh, you know, he he uh, he comes to the end of it, and he, he basically saves the day. And uh, there's this moment of realization where it's like, oh, okay, I'm I've done what I'm supposed to, and now I I'm going back to the real world, and I'm not gonna see you guys again as these characters that brought me on this great journey, like. When I go back to the real world, you're just going to go back to being my pet rat. and (laughs) You're just going to go back to being the action figures in my, in my attic, you know, stuff like that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which is.
0: It almost kind of sounds like that scene in Toy Story when he says goodbye to his toys because he's grown up.
1: Kind of. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't think I, I, I think Toy Story was was probably a little more emotionally powerful than that, but I yeah I I, I get what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a little different because he's what he, what's happening to him is he's going back to the real world and again he's once back in the real world, his rat's not going to talk to him unless he's insane. <laughs> his toys aren't going to interact with him. And if he did, you'd just be like, Ooh, yeah, that kid's got problems. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a I I would say it's a, it's a triumphant story because you go on this journey uh, on this epic journey with him. He faces, you know, King, the, his, his nemesis is a dude called King death, you know? Yeah. So he's, He's slowly dying of his diabetes, but he has to remain in this state of uh, hypoglycemia in order to continue to see these hallucinations because if he doesn't see these hallucinations, he doesn't save both their worlds. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so, so he's, he's trying to stave off literal death and king death at the same time. And once you get to the end of it, of that long journey, and he like comes out, like again, this this might be a spoiler, but I'm not gonna give too much away. But once you get the very last page of the book, is just it's him standing there triumphantly, like I, I,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's pretty heroic stuff. I gotta I gotta check this again, uh, but yeah, the last the very last page is just him standing there triumphantly and his mom is like his mom has been away the whole time and she's just driven up to the house and it's it's clear that he's just been through this whole ordeal he's all physically he's all messed up and you know might have been disheveled just from his lack of um, <laughs> uh, what's it called of uh, sugar and his mom's just like where have you been? And he's just standing there triumphantly going, In a world of my own <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a fun story. It's a fun story. I don't think it's as emotionally powerful as as something like I kill giants, but it's 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 just a fun fantasy story. And I think I I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: Yeah, we need comics like that, man.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah it like even look if a good fantasy story was so easy to come by then we wouldn't have so many bad ones yeah (laughs) you know that's how i look at it
2: i think there is something uh a little bit a little bit moving or a little bit powerful though about that sort of journey of self-realization and um kind of starting to understand kind of where that boundary is right between between I guess, fiction and reality, or maybe like two realities as the kid sees it. Like, okay, this is one thing, but then this is another thing. And then sort of like figuring out what's important from that and sorting himself out. Uh, I think there's something really powerful about that. And a lot of times some of the most mundane examples, right? Of people like triumphing over, you know, seemingly more mundane things in their lives. can be some some of the most powerful. I mean, it doesn't necessarily take like, you know, an Avengers type scenario where it's the end of the world and we got to fight giant killer robots. <laughs> yeah.
1: um,
2: the concept can be the same, but on a much smaller scale, right? Like you, yeah. you have to pick live or die sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like reading this and thinking it over with you guys, it does, it makes me wonder if there's a reason why so many fantasy stories involve like a kid leaving the comforts of their home or of their, yeah, of their home life to go into the, to go explore the big white world that they live in. Like every RPG starts off almost the same way with a kid waking up in bed and, you know, doing his chores before whatever, uh, whatever threat, forces him to become the hero, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I wonder if that's because
3: there's the idea that as a kid or young or uh, older teen, that you're on the cusp of attaining adulthood or responsibility. And it's that adventure or journey that takes you from being this naive or unaware person to seeing the world in this bigger picture and understanding your role in it and what your responsibility to it is.
1: I get that, and i I think earlier Zach mentioned that there was something there's something kind of corny about fantasy sometimes, and I do think that part of it is that it's it at least older fantasy is so much about you know young wide eyed optimism and like a kid or a young person just you know facing the threats of the world and, you know, trying to maintain their optimism while maturing at the same time. And yeah, it makes me think when, when we look at something like game of Thrones that sort of does away with that and says, okay, I want to do a more, you know, mature fantasy story that's closer to a quote unquote real world, uh, sensibilities or whatever like yeah i hope it doesn't lead to a thing where we throw or where we like dismiss those kinds of fantasy stories you know
2: yeah Yeah. it's a good point i agree i agree i think both have their merits and kind of speaking to something shanis was saying earlier i think in addition to that that they a lot of fantasy stories can deal with uh archetypes that are you know just universal and and really, I don't know, really deeply ingrained in the human experience. You know, there's always some sort of uh, metaphor, right? Like, um, life or death, love or hate, good or evil. Um, All those things are kind of like woven in and there's many times, not always, but many times sort of like parallels, obviously, between some of the elements that are in the stories and elements that are in real life. I mean, we have people we describe now as trolls but but where did we get that one (laughs) right so it's like that's a good one yeah (laughs) there's there's a reason though why these things uh are recurrent things and they keep popping up and you know sometimes they they keep grabbing adults but they continue to to capture younger generations as well Mm -hmm.
0: Mm. very good points Mm. That's the end of part one. Like a true fantasy epic, this topic was just too large for one episode. So stay tuned for the next episode of Between the Gutters, where we'll continue talking about our fantasy comic book recommendations with Zach and Shainus. Peace.